Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Sunday, February 5th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. There's so much happening around us about which we seem to have not only no understanding of what's causing it or what the truth of whatever is happening is, but also how did we get here? And I think that whether it's a nation or it's a person's individual life, you can't know how you've arrived at where you are unless you know where you started or from where you came. And I think that's the point of experience. In our personal lives, that's the point of having an experience. And experience teaches us. It teaches us what works and what doesn't work. It helps us decide next time what to do and what not to do based on prior outcomes. And I think that when it comes to a nation, that's exactly the role that history fills. If we don't know our history, then we don't know where we came from and we don't know how we got to where we are. And more importantly, we don't have the wisdom that the experience of history provides for us to help us make future decisions. I'm not saying that we should imitate history, that we should always repeat things the way they were. But I am saying that history is instructive and we can learn from it. And to ignore it, to deny it, or worse, to contort it into something it isn't, doesn't serve us. So I would like to spend this episode talking a bit about the experience of our nation's history, what it can show us, what it can provide us right now in terms of the struggle that I know all of us are going through when we look around and say, what the heck is going on? Much of the news focuses on what we're doing wrong, or at least what's going wrong. And I want to focus on what we can do right and what we must do right. We learn, as I said, we learn from what works and we learn from what hasn't worked. And that's experience. And again, that's history. So let me start with, and actually probably let me spend most of this episode with an overview of an article that was written in American Greatness, I think two days ago, a website called American Greatness. The article was written by Elizabeth Eastman. Just briefly, she's a PhD in political science. She's got an MA in liberal education, and she's got a BA in French literature and civilization. And again, I want to share with you some of the highlights and comment on them. Let's go back to 1787, if you will, for the moment. And that's when Ben Franklin was leaving the Constitutional Convention. It was actually the last day of the convention. And a woman who we know her name was Mrs. Powell because it was memorialized in the diary of someone else who was present at the moment. She walked up to Ben Franklin and she said, Well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? And Franklin replied, a republic if you can keep it. 
That phrase, if you can keep it, is so filled with the need for understanding. Let me begin with a later warning that Franklin actually gave about this new republic. He said, and I quote, it can only end in despotism as other forms have done before it when the people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government being incapable of any other, end quote. So if you think about what Franklin said, and that's going to be a theme throughout my, my podcast today, what he said is that we have a republic, he gave us, they gave us a republic, but it's tied to a lack of corruption, and it's tied to the character of the people. If it all depends on us, if it all depends on you, and it all depends on me, what is required of us, of the people, in order to maintain that republic and the liberty that it gives us. Let me quote another founder. George Washington, in his 1796 farewell address, said the following, religion and morality support political prosperity, and virtue and morality support popular government. Washington, like Aristotle, the Greek philosopher who long preceded him, we're talking about the connection between the goodness of government and the goodness of the character of both the people it governs and the character of those who do the governing. So Aristotle said in discussing the judging of goodness of government and its rulers, he distinguished between governments that rule on behalf of the common good and those governments or those rulers who use the government to further their own interests. Now, we are living at a time when there is no doubt that our leaders, the people we send to Washington, have spent an awful lot of time, energy, and our money on furthering their own interests. And that's a big part of how we got to where we are today. The slippery slope of us either allowing that to happen or when we Let's say we didn't allow it, but when we became aware of it, and we've all been aware of it for quite some time, haven't really done much about it. We've allowed it to go on. You know, the Declaration of Independence says that we not only have a right, but we have a duty to alter or to abolish any government that doesn't secure our inalienable rights that were given to us. And those include the ones we most commonly refer to as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In fact, it says we have a right to alter or to even abolish a government that becomes destructive of the ends for which it was originally formed, which was, guess what? Securing our rights. So if our political leaders or our institutions are determined to be inadequate or even hostile to securing those rights, we have an obligation, we have a duty, we have a right, all of the above, to do something about it. Now what we do about it has a spectrum, right? As a spectrum everywhere from, let's say on one end, anarchy, revolution, to more legal and constitutional means, one of which I'll talk about near the end of the podcast. But for now, let me go back to our history so that we can understand what we were given and how we are to maintain what we were given. 
We often hear talk of the Federalist Papers, and I'm not sure how many people actually know what the Federalist Papers are. They are the following. Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay all wrote back at the time of the founding under a pseudonym, and that pseudonym was Publius or Publius. Under that pseudonym, they published 85 essays, which defined a republic, among other things that, it, that they discussed. They defined a republic as a government which derives all its powers, directly or indirectly, from the great body of people. And they go on to say, as administered by persons holding their offices during pleasure for a limited period and during good behavior. So let me break that down because those two phrases, limited period and good behavior are really important and relevant to, again, the history and how we got where we are and why we are where we are and what we do about it. Let's look at limited period because what the Federalist Papers, what Hamilton and Madison and Jay were saying, if I can summarize it, is that the government derives its powers from the people and those persons who administer that power that they've gotten from the people need to do it for a limited period of time and in good behavior. Again, let's address, or let me address the limited period. I want to read you some of the members of Congress and how long they've been there. Robert Byrd, who's now deceased, was there for 51 years. He was a former KKK member. Strom Thurmond, who is a Democrat from South Carolina, as Robert Byrd was a Democrat from West Virginia, Strom Thurmond served from 1954 until, I'm sorry, from 1964 until 2003. So he served some, what, 40 years. He was a segregationist. Senator Patrick Leahy, a Democrat from Vermont, is still serving, and he's been there 47 years. Chuck Grassley is a Republican from Iowa. He's been there 41 years. Mitch McConnell, a name we all know, Republican from Kentucky, has been there 37 years. Ed Markey, a Democrat from Massachusetts, has been there 45 years. Senator Ron Wyden, a Democrat from Wyoming, I'm sorry, Oregon, has been there 41 years. I actually met Ron Wyden when he first began to serve as a freshman congressman. He's now there 41 years. Chuck Schumer from New York, Senator, Democrat, 41 years. Hal Rogers, congressional representative from Kentucky, a Republican, 41 years. Representative Chris Smith, Republican from New Jersey, 41 years. Steny Hoyer, Democrat from Maryland, 40 years. And the last three are of particular interest. Dianne Feinstein, a Democrat from California, has been there 30 years, and she's 89 years old and talking about running again. Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, 35 years, needless to say, Speaker of the House, a significant period of that time, 82 years old and still serving. And then, of course, the top of the list, the cream of the crop, President Joe Biden, Democrat from Delaware, been there 43 years, and he's 82 years old, and talking about running again. What happened to the limited period of time that the founders anticipated and said was an important 
factor in good service. It's gone. The other aspect of what the Federalist Papers said, or actually what I guess what Washington said was good behavior, right? It was limited time and good behavior. Along the lines of good behavior, Insider Magazine and several other news organizations have just recently identified 78 members of Congress who recently failed to properly report their financial trades which are mandated by the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act of 2012 that's known as the Stock Act. They simply didn't properly report. One could argue they've had insider information, they've unduly profited, and they're not properly uh, reporting because they're not paying proper taxes. These are 78 members of Congress. The Senate Ethics Committee hasn't sanctioned a member of the Senate In 14 years, the committee has had zero matters that resulted in disciplinary action since 2007. What are the odds? All of the lobbying that is comprised of former government employees who leave government and go to work for third parties, specifically because of their connections in D.C., how ethical is that? How good behavior is that? Eric Swalwell, the Democratic congressman from California, who had deep ties to a Chinese, known Chinese communist spy, Christine Fang, famously known as Fang Fang. And according to Axios, Swalwell was just the kind of politician that spies like Fang would look to target Because gaining a foothold with an up-and-comer is part of the long game the Chinese play. The goal, obviously, is of influencing broader U.S. policy years down the road because they got in early on a young rising star within the Democratic Party. And finally... I have to share and I have to include, although it has nothing to do with limited term or good behavior, Congressman Hank Johnson, a Democrat from Georgia, in 2010, he was not chairing, but I believe a member of the House Armed Services Committee. They were having a meeting and the witness was Admiral Robert Willard, who at the time was commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. And They were asking him about a proposal to move 8,000 Marines from the Japanese island of Okinawa to the U.S. Pacific Island territory of Guam. And Hank Johnson said, and it's on video if you doubt me, go go to YouTube, type in Hank Johnson and Guam. It's gonna come up first and foremost because it's astonishing. This congressman said he feared that stationing 8,000 Marines on Guam would cause the island to become so overly populated that it would tip over and capsize. That's a U.S. congressman who, by the way, is now serving his ninth consecutive term. He's been serving since 2007, and he's an attorney. When you think back to the founders talking about the people, we the people, being responsible in a sense for who our leaders are, you have to ask yourself, can you really blame anyone who thinks that Guam could tip over because there's too many people on it? Can you blame him 
when his constituents, we the people, continued to elect this idiot for nine consecutive terms. You know, Franklin's cautionary statement is very real. A republic, if you can keep it. One of the requirements of a successful Republican government is the participation of the people. But what that requires is an educated citizenry. What we have experienced in this country over the last several decades is the dumbing down of that citizenry, particularly that educated citizenry. The elimination of civics altogether from academia from any grade school course. The purchase of chairs of entire department heads by foreign government so that they could influence curriculum. Social media, the damage it has done to the intelligence level of the population. And TikTok, things like TikTok, which are an encroachment upon our children's minds by the Communist Party and no efforts to stop it by this administration. Why? Why? You know, Franklin said, and I'm going to quote him again, the good education of youth has been esteemed by men, wise men in all ages, as the surest foundation of the happiness both of private families and of commonwealths. Almost all governments have, therefore, made it a principal object of their attention to establish and endow with proper revenues such seminaries of learning as might supply the succeeding age with men qualified to serve the public with honor to themselves and to their country, End quote. Everything I have shared thus far in this episode is in direct contradiction to that. The fact that there are no term limits, the fact that there is no, there are no ethics or morals among most of those who serve us in the United States House and the United States Senate. Most. I didn't say all. I said most. The fact that the public has been dumbed down to the point where we don't even know enough history to know what we were given, to know what tools we have, and to chart a path forward out of the mess we, have find, we now find ourselves in. And then, in terms of this education, think about critical race theory and the 1619 Project in our school curriculum. You know, the 1619 Project was a major initiative by the New York Times, which was observing the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. And its, its goal was to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as the true founding and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. That was a quote from the purpose of the 1619 Project. And after an awful lot of people raised an issue about it, they removed from the website the words reframing the country's history because that smacks of what Michelle Obama said when Barack Obama was running for president. She was brazen about saying, we're going to have to change our history. Well, you don't change history. You look at it, you learn from it, but you don't change it. It was what it was. And it's in the past. It occurred. You don't get to go back and rewrite it to fit a current narrative. 
So these two movements, critical race theory, 1619 Project, have been bolstered by what is commonly referred to as cancel culture. Because you either agree with them, support them, you either shut up, go along, or you're going to be canceled or boycotted or fired or ostracized on social media. And it's not just happening here. They're trying to do the very same thing to Israel and to Netanyahu right now that they did here to Trump and are doing to us and our economy and our culture. And if you doubt it, take a look at what J.P. Morgan just said in the last couple days about what's happening in Israel. They are now categorizing Israel as an investment risk. Why? Because they reelected Netanyahu. And he has some thoughts about how that government could be more, I guess I could say, like our republic and less like a socialist country. An effort he has made in every term he has served and done so successfully with the economy and the tech sector. Now he wants to do it with their judiciary. And he's right. But J.P. Morgan along with the World Economic Forum, to do in Israel, just as they have done in our country thus far. To close out this episode, I want to say that I spoke with three people this week, all of whom addressed the same frustration and the same sense of being lost in their lives. And I thought it was interesting that it came from three people who have no connection and who have very different lives very different lifestyles, very different personal histories. I believe this feeling of frustration and being lost in our own lives is the result of where we were prior to COVID, what happened to us during COVID and from the lockdowns. I believe it is the result of unfettered access to technology. I believe it is the result of technology's intrusion into our personal and everyday lives. Smart appliances, smart meters attached to our homes, the ability to track us through cell phones, the ability to access everything that's on our computers, buy a Romba, go online, connect your Wi-Fi to your Romba, and guess what? Everything on your computer is accessible through your Romba to a hacker. It's all the result of the obvious deception from the media. It's all the result of the obvious corruption in our political leaders because they are mostly corrupt. They have stopped protecting those inalienable rights that were granted to us, not by the Constitution, but memorialized in the Constitution as granted us from God. In fact, I would argue that our leaders and many global leaders are colluding together and with third-party entities outside of formal governments to usurp those inalienable rights across the board. So what are we to do? Well, I sort of laid it out in most of this episode. It is our right and our duty to do something about it, to do something about a government that has failed to secure our rights and particularly our inalienable rights a government that has refused to protect our border and as of this week refused to protect the sovereignty of the skies over our nation. But if we're not aware of our history, if we're not educated properly and fully, then people like Hank Johnson will get to serve nine terms because we won't know any better. 
And then foreign entities like the World Economic Forum will get to set global policy that our government bows to. So what do we do? Organize a movement and put pressure on your congressional representatives to abolish the Department of Education because education should be a state issue and not mandated by the federal government. Secondly, stop voting by party when the candidate in your party is an idiot or a crook. Third, support the Convention of States in your home state. If you don't know about it, under Article 5 of the Constitution, we have the right to propose and vote for amendments to the U.S. Constitution. That could be among the following. Term limits for elected officials. Remember, that's the limited time that Franklin spoke of and that the Federalist Papers speak of. Imposing restraints on the IRS. A balanced budget amendment a limitation on using executive orders and federal regulations to circumvent the way laws are supposed to be enacted, which is through Congress, placing an upper limit on federal taxation, and requiring the sunset, the end date, of all existing federal taxes and a supermajority vote to replace them with new and fairer taxes. These are just a few of what could be done through a constitutional amendment. However, we need to call a convention of states in order to do that because it isn't going to happen any other way. We, the people, have power, but we have to know where you came from. You have to know the gifts you were given by those who created the system in which you now live. You have to know what those gifts are. They're tools. And then you have to be willing to pick up those tools and work with them for, as I like to say, the highest good of all concerned. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again next Sunday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.